All right, you're going ahead, be seated. Good morning, everybody. What a beautiful, beautiful day. This is fantastic. So glad to be able to be here with all of you, of course. And God gave us a great day. We wanted to set today aside as a celebration day. And by the way, if you need to shuffle while I'm talking because you just ended up in the sun, you started in the shade, I don't care. Just do whatever you need to do to be comfortable. We're going to have a short time together like this this morning to be able to just reflect on some incredible things that God has done with our church in the last near five years. Our, we're coming up on our five-year anniversary, but we wanted to take today to be outside if possible, enjoy creation, just set things apart, have it a kind of a, a front yard party, if we could, to celebrate God. You know, it's four and a half, almost five years ago now that we started our church, and we started with a blank slate. We had no idea what God was going to do with our church, how, who would even be a part of it. But it's going to be a great celebration today just to go back and recount some of the ways that God has entrusted us and given us responsibility in our community in ways that we are allowed to minister. And today we don't want to boast in any of these things. That's not the point. We're not going to talk about numbers and all that for the sake of us being able to brag or boast in those ideas either. The purpose of today is we want to say thank you, Lord, for giving us the privilege to minister in our community and around this world. And to capture kind of the idea of where we're going to be today, I'm going to still be in the book of Ezra where we have been studying for months. Ezra chapter 8. But before I get there, I want you to consider with me, just a day like today, you get outside and the creation is so incredible. And if you were up real early this morning, you got to see the full moon and it was amazing as well. And you take in all this creation account and then to realize there will come a day when you and I will be in front of the Creator at the throne of God. If you're a Christ follower, that means you're at the judgment seat of Christ. You're there and it's a place of reward. It is a place where you are given a hopeful statement that we all long to hear and that is, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, obviously, if you choose as a Christ follower to not live your life for Jesus and you, you receive His goodness, you receive His forgiveness, it means you still get to be at His presence at the throne, but instead of it being a place of reward, it's not. It becomes a place of, uh, of emptiness in that moment, no reward. Naked and ashamed is the way the Bible describes it. And so that's why I challenge us every week in the Scripture is, what would it look like to be a faithful Christ follower and with that knowing that there's coming a day in the future where you get to hear the Savior say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You think about places where you've been maybe in this world that were incredibly beautiful, magnificent, awesome in power, and you just were in awe. I've been to Niagara Falls and just the immensity of the power of Niagara Falls. I've seen the Grand Canyon and fascinated just by the, the size and the expanse and so many things in this world that are so incredibly awesome and powerful, but compared to the throne room of God, all of that pales in comparison. They're just snapshots of the beauty, creativity, and awesomeness and power of our God and Savior. And there will come a day where we will be in front of Him. And it's a very personal conversation because you will see Jesus with this prince in His hand and in His feet. You'll know it's Him. And he will speak personally to you. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but that's the, the words I long to hear from my Savior, knowing that he gave his life 
for me that I might have life. And so in return, I want to give my life to him that he may use me as he sees fit. When I think about this in light of the text of Scripture that we're going to speak from today, it's very similar to the book of Ezra. There's an account that's given because the people of this time, if you remember the story, let, let me get, paint the whole backstory for those of you that maybe haven't been a part of our Ezra study. There's a time in the history of the nation of Israel that were a unique people called out by God for His mission and His purpose. They were a holy people, means they're set apart by God for His purpose. But sadly, the nation of Israel, their heart became turned towards idolatry and worldly things. And so on the one hand, they worship God, and on the other hand, they worship everything else. Very divided heart. God sent past preachers and prophets to warn Israel to turn from idolatry and sinfulness to a wholehearted commitment unto the Lord, and they wouldn't listen. So God raised up a, another nation to come in and crush them. At first, they just came in and politically took them over, but eventually they were completely taken over to the place that their, their temple was destroyed, the walls of the city were broken down, the gates were burned, and the people then were taken away from Jerusalem and taken all the way to where we know is Iraq. Well, when they were taken away, God had a specific time. This was a discipline for them. He didn't allow them to be exterminated by the enemy, but disciplined by the enemy. So they come in and take them away. For 70 years was the time that God had assigned for that discipline to take place. Really, a whole generation or more are going to be in exile. But then God raised up through the power of God. Only he could do this. The heart of kings are in the hand of the Lord. And so God raised up a king who would then write a decree that would give Israel permission to go back and begin rebuilding the temple. And so about 50,000 people made that first journey. Their names are recorded in Scripture so we know who they are. And they go back and begin the construction process. During the process, they got discouraged. The opposition was hot and kept coming against them. And, and finally, they concluded that, well, maybe it's not just not the right time. So they stopped constructing. And then they took all the building materials that God had given to them for, for the construction of the temple, and they decided just to use all those materials and go build their own houses instead. And so God sends them another prophet and says, what are you doing? Consider your ways. You're taking the things that were for God, and now you're using them for yourselves and raise up and go build the temple. So they did. They rose back up and said, Thus says the Lord, we're going. And they started constructing the temple. Well, the temple finally is completed. But then 60 more years go by. And God's now going to send a group of people back again to now establish temple worship. And there's some things that had crept into the temple that shouldn't have been there. And so he's sending back a leader, Ezra by name. And he's going to lead a delegation of people back to get things put in order in the temple building. Well, when Ezra goes back, he gets a decree that sends him with permission, with all king authority, to go back with a group of people, but not just authority, but incredible provision. Amazing amounts of gold and silver and, and precious jewels and livestock and just an incredible amount of stuff to go back. But there's a problem. The route back from where they are back to Jerusalem, not only is it a five, five and a half month long journey by foot, 
But it is a dangerous road that is known to be a place where thieves would be on the side of the road and ambush those traveling. And especially when you run the numbers on what they were traveling with, millions and millions of dollars in gold, silver, and precious jewels. And so Ezra, being a man of faith, has now trusted God to give him the permission to go back, but he's trusting God as well that God would be the one who would buy his hand get them safely back to Jerusalem with all of the stuff without a military escort. In fact, we learned this last week, he was ashamed to go ask the king for an escort when he's already told the king that it's our God who we're going to serve and it is our God who's made these provisions and so I'm not about to go ask for a military escort otherwise it cheapens the hand of God. And so he wouldn't. Well, as we get to our story of this process today and as we celebrate things that God's doing in our lives, God takes and, or Ezra takes and separates out some stewards. Now, each one of us in Scripture are also called stewards. It's interesting when you study this text of Ezra because they're going back to build a temple. But when you look at the context of the New Testament where we live in, we are called the temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us as a Christ follower. God raises up priests to go back and minister in this temple. Well, in the New Testament, we are called the priesthood of believers. So we serve in the manner of sacrifice, but not the sacrifice of animals, but the sacrifice of, of praise in our, our giving, in our ministry, and prayer, in our lives. That's the sacrifice we offer. And, and likewise, he raised up men who were scribes and be keepers of the word. Well, that's us as well. We're keepers and teachers of the word, multiplying God's truth throughout this world. That's what we've been left to do. Well, Ezra raises up some stewards, or, or he assigns some stewards. It says in Ezra chapter 8, verse 24, he said, I separated 12 of the leaders of the priest, and he weighed out to them this material that's been given, the gold and the silver. All of this has been weighed out, but there's a key word. And he weighs out the number of talents of silver and talents of gold. And then he told him, he said, you guys are holy. You're separated apart, unique for this purpose, this mission. You are responsible for the things that God has now given. But I want you to hear the, the words and connect them even to the New Testament where we live. You remember the story when Jesus described the master who owned many things and the master gave talents to his servants. To one servant he gave ten and another one five and another one just one. And the purpose was take the things I've given you, the talents that I've given you. This isn't just abilities and whether you're a good golfer or you can build houses. That's not the point. These are talents in terms of context of resource and be a good steward with them. So the guy who had the ten talents went and multiplied those talents, and the guy that had five, he multiplied five into be more than five. But the guy who had one, he just buried it in the ground because he wanted to be sure. Whenever the, the, the master comes back, I want to make sure that the one thing he gave me, I didn't lose it, and I've got it still. And the master looked at him and said, that was not good stewardship. I gave you a talent to multiply it, not bury it in the ground. I could have done that. And so he took that talent away and gave it to the ones that are faithful. Well, I think about this in the context of our church. Four and a half years ago, we were a church that starts out with, with just a group of people in a barn. We didn't even have the trailer. 
and we gathered together and began to trust God, what would God have us to do? What does God want us to accomplish? And of course, we go to the Bible and know that we are left on this planet to make disciples and let God write our story and guide us into the direction that he wants us to go. We'll focus the areas of ministry God tells us to be a part of. And if he's not doing that, then we're not doing it either. But we constantly just ask God, God, would you open a new door? We want to be where people are. So open doors to have access so that we can be with people. How can we serve? How can we serve our community effectively? How can we serve this world in the places you would direct, this big old globe? Who do you want us to connect with? And how would we even know? How do we go? What do we do? And that was the questions, all those questions we were asking those things. Well, as I think back through all of this over the last few years, you think about our church and the fact that right across the road over there, Hasn't been very long ago, God's given us the resources it took to buy that piece of property, and now we're just waiting for the right time to get the building built. And I say right time, we've gone, we're getting the steps. You're not going to see a bulldozer over there Monday, I promise. But it won't be long because we're in the process of the permitting and getting all the things organized so that it can, the project can happen. But in just a few short years, God provided resources for us to be able to buy that land and then in a short amount of time, providing more resource so that we can now build a facility to be, create a hub of ministry location for us that we, instead of borrowing a tool, we'll have our own tools. But man, isn't this been a great tool to borrow for a while? God's been really faithful. But I think about not only that, but the ministries that have taken place of just the volume of people, all of you that are engaged in some aspect of ministry week to week and month to month and what it requires for us to, to serve well. Just what it takes for Sundays to happen by the time you set all this stuff up and tear it all down every week, by the time we take care of our children, we now have 50 workers in children's ministry throughout the course of a month. Guys, we didn't even used to have 50 children. We had two. When our church started, we had a couple of kids and childcare was pretty simple. Well, now they're back there in a fenced-in thing, and man, that's cool. But, but the point is, God's multiplying that area of our ministry, and I'm, I'm grateful. I'm thankful for the fact that our music team every week is faithful to practice, be ready, get here early, do what all that they do, and set all this up, and they tear it all down and load it back in the trailers. Every week they do this. Can we not say thank you for that? <laughs> I think about our hospitality team, safety team that makes sure people get in and out and safely every week, and we've got security so that we know we're worshiping in safe spaces the best way we can. We've got great stewards, trustees that manage resources so that we're utilizing the things that God's given the most effective way possible. I think about not only the resource side, but how God has now given to us responsibility with people. That's what we kept asking for. In our community on a week-to-week -week basis, what does that even mean? Well, by the time you connect us with all the campus life ministries, Good News Club, sports teams, FCA, before school and after school, and all these different things, I was thinking about this last night, each week right now, our groups are connected to about 300 students on a weekly basis throughout all those different places. That's amazing. We started with zero. And God has multiplied that and we keep asking, Lord, we, we want another engagement here. Where can we engage? But not only that, 
we've found places where there's needs in our community. And so Jack every week runs backpacks and paw packs, as they're called, to the different school campuses to make sure that kids that need to go home with food go home with food. I think about all the ways the families are ministered to. Jack mentioned earlier about Springhouse. He's got a relative there, but there's others. And every week we have a team that goes there to minister the Word of God and music and people that just go there to love on others just because we just want to have the love of Christ manifested in that place. And there's opportunities for everything I'm saying to you we can multiply and have more people engaged. It's not exclusive to who's doing it now. That's just the way it is. No, they're all opportunities to continue. So you have to, as I'm talking today, I want you to contemplate. These are things God's made us stewards of. You have an ownership in this as part of one community church to be a part of that stewardship in responsibility to whom much is given, much is required. I look at how God's given us this unique opportunity with... Uh, Sleep in heavenly peace. In the last several months, our delivery team has delivered almost 100 beds to kids in this community, right here in this community, just our zip code for right here, kids that did not have a bed to sleep on. were sleeping on the floor. And through our relationship with Sleep in Heavenly Peace, their motto is, no child sleeps on the floor in my community. And we share that vision with them. And so We've been able to be a part of that, and God's now expanding that. They've come to us and said, hey, we love what you're doing. Could you expand that? So now we're expanding that to Ozark and the zip codes that will involve Christian County. That's a massive responsibility, but we're thankful. It means we walk into people's homes, and young people's lives are changed. You talk to educators about when a child goes from sleeping on the floor to now they're in the bed. They miss school less. They're sick less. Self-esteem goes up, self-worth, all those things. They see a difference in a child almost immediately just because they have a bed to sleep in. I think about our ministry with Pregnancy Care. Some of you volunteer there, and our church, of course, financially contributes to that ministry, and I'm thankful. Dogwood Ranch, just down the street, specific to foster kids that have aged out of the foster system and military guys who've come back with PTSD challenges and they use equine therapy and other methods to in, in order to help those folks and we want to come alongside that's a, a unique gap in our culture that needs needs some help and one community has jumped into that I'm glad the senior center Rogersville and Ozark where there's unique needs that pop up that are not normally met through government opportunities and so we we try to help but then God takes us outside of our own community, and there's probably several things I've just forgot, but outside of our own community, do you realize we've taken so many teams? Since we've started as a church, we've taken teams to China and to Togo, Africa, multiple times. We've taken teams to Nicaragua, and we're taking another one there next week for pastor training. And God just keeps opening doors for us as a church around the globe to make a difference. We've acquired a new ministry partner in and Ukraine in the midst of this war to be able to help provide some relief. And, and that relief effort has now turned into widows and orphans specific. And how can we come alongside and participate with that? But I think about the, uh, the chippies who you are all so kind to provide things. Every six months or so we ship barrels of supplies to the chippies in Zambia. And since we've known the Chippies in the last five years, they've moved from one ministry location out in really out in the village life where they had an incredible base of operation. And now they've 
they've left that to some other national pastors and they've moved into to the capital city of Lusaka and are starting from scratch an entire new ministry. And we're a part of that. We've been a part of that. So here's the point. I'm sure I missed a few things. But God has, since we've started with the blank slate and said, Lord, we're here to serve you. What do you want us to do? And he just keeps giving us one more talent, one more talent, and one more talent for us to multiply in his name. But we also do that in his power, not ours. Because when you consider what happened, even in the book of Ezra, in this process of going from Iraq back to Jerusalem with millions of dollars of stuff, it was the hand of God, the way Ezra recounted this event. He said it was the hand of God on us. In Ezra chapter 8, verse 31, it says, And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. They knew it. When they arrived in Jerusalem safely with all the stuff, they knew it was God that did that. There was no other reason they should have ever made it safe without a military escort. And I can look back over these last years knowing that if God hadn't done it, there's no way we would be doing this. If God didn't provide people and resources and His hand of protection be on our church and God continued to open doors and God continued to show direction and God closing doors and say, no, don't go there. And our hand of our God is upon our church. So we move forward in the power of God, not in the power of people and mankind because, well, we'll always come up short. We're apt to fail in fear. We'll backtrack. But God works these things and God multiplies these things. And so we are submitted to the hand of God as stewards of His things. When they arrived in Jerusalem with all the stuff, they took a three-day break. But it wasn't just so they could all rest. Three days are a proving ground in Scripture. It was three days of Jesus Christ being in the grave. But remember, on the third day, He rose again. So that term three days in Scripture is a consistent one of death to life. It is one that proves things. And it proved in the resurrection that Jesus Christ truly was the Son of God. Well, they waited three days when they got to Jerusalem. And that way they could now give an account. And literally they will take and number out all the things that were, were accounted for back when they left. They're going to count it all again. And this account takes place on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were then weighed in the house of God and all the weight was written down. There was a record made of what had happened and that's part of the reason why today I felt like we needed to have a day where it's written down and we can remember and rehearse in our own ears over and over. What has God done? And then give thanks to the Lord and praise His holy name for what He has done and give an account. But there's a key word here, gave account. Because I will give an account for my life, for my stewardship, of the things that God has placed in my hand, in my care, I will give an account to the Lord. He is the master. I belong to Him. So I will give an account for my family. As a pastor, when you shepherd a church, I give an account for this church, for every person in it. I will give an account for the resources God chooses to give me in my life. Every one of us. It's not just exclusive to me. No, all. All people. 
who are Christ followers give an account for their life and the resources and the stewardship that you've been entrusted with. We have been made stewards of the mysteries of God, which means the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are stewards of that. So what I choose to do by faith in ministering the good news of Jesus, I will give an account for that. If I hold back and I never say a word, though I know Jesus and I've been received his forgiveness and I never say anything to anybody about that, that's like the dude taking the talent and shoving it in the ground. You're taking the light and putting it in a dark spot. That makes no sense. And so we've been given this charge and we give an account and it's written down. And finally, they sacrificed to the Lord. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from captivity, they offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. They offered sin offerings. So what's the point? In the culture and the heritage of that time, of course, this was pre-Jesus. So that fellowship with God was through sacrifice. An animal was sacrificed because you're acknowledging sin. So because I know I've sinned, I bring this animal as an offering to the Lord. A burnt offering was one that was wholly consumed. All, all the parts of the animal would have been completely consumed. And so a person would bring that saying, I'm all, I surrender all. I'm wholly consumed unto the Lord. You realize Jesus Christ is both of those. In matter of fact, all of the offerings that are mentioned in Scripture, Jesus Christ is the sum total of all of them. Because he is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He was the whole burnt offering because he was wholly consumed for you and I that our sin debt would be paid for once and for all. He is the sin offering that was offered for you and I for forgiveness of sin. He is all of those offerings. And so now if I look at the book of Ezra, what can I learn from this? What do I take home out of this? Well, it would be the obvious. And that is that you and I offer up our lives to our Savior who gave his life for us. And we just say, Lord, I give my life back to you. Remember before Jesus went to the cross, the prayer that he prayed. Father, not my will, but yours be done. And then he was wholly consumed for you and me. And so in response to that, I trust him as my savior. I know I will spend eternity with him in heaven, in his place. And so the natural, reasonable response is to just give my life to the Lord and say, Lord, I belong to you. You bought and paid for me by your own blood. I belong to you. And so as the scripture teaches us in the New Testament, Paul pleads this case and he said, I'm begging you by the mercy of God that you would present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In light of all that God has done, the most reasonable thing to do is just give your life to the Lord and let him use you as you see fit, or as, as he sees fit. As I mentioned a moment ago, to whom much is given, much is required. It's the role of stewards. 
And so today we, we celebrate. Man, God has been gracious to us as a church, kind to us as a church. He's given much to us as a church. Not that we come today in glory and boast and pat ourselves on the back of anything that we've done up to now, but to reflect and say, Lord, in light of all that you've given, well, how do we go forward from here and steward those things well, knowing we will give an account for what has been given to us to be responsible for? The challenge to each of us individually, be mindful. You will give an account of your life before the Lord himself. You will see Jesus in all of his glory and give an account for your life in light of what he has done for you What's your response to that? How do you take action on anything that I've even said because of... How do you engage? You think, well, what does it even mean to be wholly consumed or surrender all? It starts from a position of the heart. I start there from saying, Lord, not my personal agenda, not my time, not my stuff, not my anything. It all belongs to you. You've given it all to me, including my life. So... However you want to use me, you use me that way. You start from that position and God will begin to direct your steps because you'll hear of opportunities to serve and engage. And all of a sudden you'll, you'll jump into those opportunities because God will prompt your heart to engage there and then you'll discover there's a reason why God put you in that spot. He's very personal because he knows all the pieces and the parts and who needs to connect to who and he'll put you exactly where he wants you, knowing how he gifted you and has given you personality and everything else about you, he's going to use that exactly how he sees fit because he knows. So the question is today, are you wholly surrendered unto the Lord? You know, the first decision of faith I made like that was when I was a young guy, having heard the good news of Jesus many times, but it was on a particular day where that good news settled into my heart for real and by faith i've never seen jesus but i called upon his name said lord jesus i believe you are the savior and you died for me and you rose again and you're truly god and there is none else and i'm asking you to save me and it was on that day i gave my life to the lord and he came and his spirit then moved in to live inside of me to guide me and to teach me and to show me the way of how to live for christ but the, 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 the idea of the daily sacrifices of the Old Testament, I kind of get it. Because every day there's a, a new dying daily that you go through of today, Lord, once again, not my will but yours be done. To be used as you see fit. Because it's not just a one-off decision. This is a decision you make every single day from the time you become a Christ follower until God takes you home. You make a decision every day, Lord. Not my will, but yours be done. Can we give God some praise this morning for His goodness? Let me just offer a prayer of thanks. And this morning, if you need to have a personal prayer time with the Lord as well, asking Him to save you from your sin and for eternal life, that's a conversation you have privately and quietly right, th right where you're seated. 
And if you have questions about that, and what does it mean? How do I know? And all that, man, I'd love to share that with you. Just open the Bible. So this isn't just some thing Dwayne says and makes up. No, I want to show you from Scripture so you can know from God's holy book, how can you know that you have eternal life in Jesus Christ? And God chose to write it down. Let me pray with us. Father, we are so thankful. We're humbled as a people, Lord, that you know us personally in the midst of creation and the incredible awesomeness of what creation even looks like, that you know each of us individually. You fashioned us in our mother's womb. You know the number of hairs on our head, though they may be few for some. But Lord, you've given us talents, gifts, and ability. You've trusted us as a church with so much. And Lord, we want to take the things you've given and just say thank you. Thank you that you're so personal that, that we can know you. And that, Lord, you would answer our request. And that, Lord, you would entrust us. Because we're not always trustworthy. But you trust us with your mission to share the good news of Jesus around this world. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us to be surrendered to you. Remind us of that even again today, a calling on our lives to lay down our personal agendas for how we want to do things and building our own kingdoms to be focused on yours. Lord, we need your strength. This world is a messed up place. Sin is all around. Sorrows come. We suffer great losses. The battles are tough. But Lord, we know greater is you who is in us than he that's in this world. And just as we saw the hand of God on, on Ezra and his people, we know that your hand is upon us. And so we, we trust in your powerful, righteous right hand to guide us and protect. Lord, I pray that in the days ahead that you would multiply our church. Not that we can boast in numbers of how many people come to our church each week, because it would be a reflection, Lord, of people's lives transformed by the gospel. And that we could multiply the resources and the, and the footprint around the world, more people going to more places to be in connection with more people. Lord, that's what we desire, so we ask you in the name of Jesus for that. Lord, we are trusting you for much for our facility going forward. You've given so much, but we're asking for more. We know you're a faithful father who gives perfect gifts. And so we ask, Lord, that you would provide that our building might be built so we could become, uh, use our own tools and have a lighthouse spot right here in this community that we could launch out to the world from here. Lord, you're good. Your grace is great, and we want to say thank you. Thank you for providing food for us to eat and enjoy fellowship together with today. And thank you for everybody to be here to enjoy it together. We love you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.